Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stahl from the Hockey News alongside virtually Pat Williams from the AHL as always. And today we're joined by very special guest Coachella Valley Firebird assistant coach Jessica Campbell is here to join us. Jessica, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. You have the best. You win the best backdrop of the show so far. We, you didn't have to do that whole setup for us. If, for those that are just listening, Jessica's in the coach's office and the video coach is working in the background. He's been very kind to let us interrupt him for a bit. But anyways, Jessica, so t- tell us, you know, the team is gearing for the playoffs here. What's kind of the mindset heading into the postseason? Yeah, I think playoff hockey is obviously different. So right now we're just we're really trying to just build on the momentum that has been a year long process. It's been a really fun journey from start to finish. Obviously, it's an inaugural year. So a new group of guys all brought together and our leadership group, our young guys, everybody's just brought the mentality all year that we've tried to establish a competitive team, you know, a disciplined team that that comes to work every day with that with that mindset and so I think we're just really trying to tighten in on the details of, of our team our structure our system so that obviously when playoff hockey comes that everybody elevates we're ready to do the same take that step you know last week we had our prospect of the week was Ty Karche a guy that kind of came out of nowhere to a lot of people but this year he's been one of the best even strength scorers in the league doing a lot of things well in his rookie season what can you tell us about his development kind of from the start of when he came to, to where he's at now yeah, he's a special kid. He's a special player. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Ty, I spend a lot of time with Ty from whether it's practice days, off days. He's He comes every day with the mindset of what can I do to get better. And he's he has the mindset where I think he's so raw. His his foundation of his game, his, his, his soft skills, his hard skills are – they're at that level that's going to that's going to be needed of him to you know make the step to the NHL someday and I think he's he's come in with with the proper with the proper attitude as just to be a sponge every day and and obviously his development his journey this year within our team and his offense offensive production has really shown that he is that player and he's, he's established the respect of his teammates in the locker room too that he's he's able to rise up to every opportunity that he's gotten from day one, you know, playing on a third, fourth line role to elevating to on our first power play on the penalty kill, being a dependable player in every zone. And, and then again, being an offensive weapon, he has an asset, his shot is his asset. And, and everybody knows when he steps on the ice, both teams know that he has that tool and he's, he hasn't held it back. So it's been really fun to watch him and obviously support him along the way. Uh, Jessica, you know, one of the challenges at this level is you get players in all sorts of different stages of their career prospects and then you know you get the young players and you get some of the old players that have maybe been kicked around a little bit by the business how do you as an assistant try to relate to those players in those different stages of the career and with some of that different baggage that they bring yeah I think like in every team you have a makeup of many different personalities a personnel that has different experiences in the game like to your point we have we have veterans who've done it all have, have played in the National Hockey League and are here and in a later part of their career, but then we have young guys too that that are just starting that process. And I think where we're really fortunate is the character within our locker room, the leadership presence of our, our veteran guys that have been around the league for, for years now. And they bring the competitiveness, they bring the willingness to learn, to grow, to get better every day. That's created a really, I think, positive atmosphere for us as coaches to come in and to approach each player 
um, both differently and, and sometimes the same way, but across the board, the one thing I've, I've learned, you know, transitioning from playing to coaching, I always remember what, what did I need? What did I always come back to the, the mindset that I had as a player is what, what did I need in those moments? And there's different waves of the season. Every player is a different, of a different personality for sure that you're, you're trying to navigate and understand what they need individually. But what I think for me is, is allowed us to have success this year is just figuring out every player individually, how they respond, how they, how they, want to learn and understanding that process. And then, then you can really get to the good stuff and get to get to work is when you understand them better as a person and, and how you can support them. But I've, I've always kept my, my focus on the players first, just knowing and making sure they know that I'm here to serve them. I'm here to guide them in their process. And ultimately if they're succeeding, we as a team are succeeding and we're having the success that we need. So it's all about them and they kind of drive that conversation from the start. One of the, those players has uh, been hurt for a bit now, Andrew Podolowski. But, uh, you know, from when you did see him, what makes him such an elite player at this level, you know, and haven't done it for so long? Mm-hmm. I mean, Potsy's a pro. He comes to work every day. Actually, a good example of Potsy. I, I obviously, my background, I specialize in, in skating specifically, and I, I entered into this this space as a power skating coach. And typically that's something you work on in the offseason. And, and Potsy himself, you know, he came to me wanting to work on it. And, and I said, there's opportunity here. And, and it, he really set an example and a precedent within our team. One of the most respected players in the league, you know, 10 minutes a day working on a stride mm-hmm. stuff that you don't see from a veteran player, a player of his skill set. And so obviously that mindset, that willingness to continue to push and do whatever it takes to be successful. That's, that's why he is the player that he is and, and the leader that he is, but definitely hurt us not having him. And it's a tough injury to watch him go through, but I know his bounce back is going to be that much stronger because he has that type of personality and it's, it's exciting to see him here within our, within our team. So let's get into how you got into the role you're in. I remember you were named to be a development coach for the Rangers development camp. Then this arose. So so things changed. How did it all come together joining Coachella Valley? Yeah, it was an interesting summer for me. Um, When I returned back from world championships, working with the German national team, things just kind of spiraled from there, but I had an opportunity to to meet with the the Rangers staff, um, development staff during World Championships in the spring, and kind of that started the momentum around potentially going to join them as a volunteer coach or just to to get that experience with them in develop, at development camp. And shortly after the, the announcement came, you know, a more serious actual coaching opportunity for this within Coachella and with the Kraken came up and. When I was approached by by Dan Balsma as potentially, you know, a candidate to to interview for this position, it was for me the next step, and I was very excited. So I wasn't really expecting the sequence of the events going from the conversation with the Rangers to the Kraken, but within a quick week turn of events, I was I was hired to this position, and and so obviously working with the Kraken and jumping full fully on board with them, it's been a really really fun, I guess unexpected journey where things took off pretty quickly, but I'm very grateful to be part of this organization and everything that they stand for. And obviously the role that I have within our team. You know, you were at Cornell for four years as a player, captain them in your senior year. Then, you know, you want to play with the Inferno, the CWHL, some time in Sweden and other, you know, player opportunities as well. But I'm kind of curious, when did coaching kind of become the next phase for you? When did your, your mind get set on maybe impacting the game that way? Yeah, I think for me, I, I struggled with some shoulder injuries late in my career. So it's kind of, I guess, 
forced into the conversation of when, when's my time done or am I going to do more surgeries? And, and so I was about 25 years old when I stepped away from playing and, and just naturally kind of right into coaching. I knew as a player, I always ran skating camps, skills camps, kind of giving back along the way as I was playing just in the off season. And I knew I loved to teach skill. I knew I loved to teach skating and I had kind of a unique, I guess, more spark around understanding it on a deeper level than you would traditionally think about as a player. So I was kind of a student of, of the game and the teaching side of it when I was still actively playing. And so I didn't expect this kind of path because I honestly didn't see it for women in the game. And so I didn't really understand what that path would look like in coaching. But for me specifically, the year after I stepped away from playing, just got an opportunity to be a skating coach right away and started to develop a different way of thinking around it at my own my own kind of philosophy and, and structure to how I would teach it. And that, that ended up, you know, for me at launching my own business and my own way of doing it and kind of going down that coaching path, which led here. You know, uh, it's not too often that, you know, your first extended pro opportunities were with a Stanley cup winning coach like Dan Pilesma. Um, what has it been like to, to learn from him, to work alongside him and, and be part of his staff? Yeah, it's been unbelievable for me. I think from the very beginning, I was obviously honored. I knew for me, I, I, I love being surrounded by passionate people. You know, anyone that brings energy and enthusiasm to anything they do, it's Dan brings that. And I knew that right away from day one. But that's beyond, you know, all the accolades and, and his credibility, his experience, his knowledge as a coach. It's something that I didn't take lightly knowing that I would have the be afforded the opportunity to learn from someone of that caliber in nature. So I think for me, again, kind of like our players, I try to be a sponge as much as I can around Dan and just listen to his ideas. And I've, I've learned so much this year. And I think I've helped also and extended some, some knowledge of my own and unique ways, creative ways of thinking that have, has helped our staff too. And, and I, I just know Dan's the type of person and he's a coach that, he loves to teach and he could sit for hours. We could sit in the hour for hours in the coach's office and just talk about anything from structure systems, play skills, leadership. It's, it's really fun. And it's a staff that we're, we're all bringing different things to the table and, and Dan's the leader of that. So it's been a testament to our success in our journey this year in our inaugural season for sure. And then, you know, you know, it wasn't a very typical start to the season either, um, you know, and to this stage of your career, I mean, you had, that two-month road trip, uh, 18 of 22 on the road, uh, then getting settled in Coachella. How was that whole experience? You know, just you're, especially when you're trying to get settled into that job too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was an interesting start. I think for us, we we spent the first couple months in Seattle, but I think it was a special way for us as a group to come together. Being being on the road, you know, we called ourselves road warriors there for a while, and it just we didn't know any differently, right? We didn't have a home yet technically, and so just being under the umbrella with the Kraken only neighbors down, you know, next door within the, the ice plex there. It was for us, I think, and our own players also a very unique situation to be in every day. They had eyes on them too. And we were in a very supported environment on the ice, off the ice to, to set our season off the way that we wanted to. And then when we moved down here officially later in the fall, November, December, and when our doors opened, there was just so much buzz, so much, so much excitement. But I think we established the identity on the ice and off the ice within the locker room that when we walked into our our room, our facility, all brand new, there was just, again, a, a level of gratitude across the board from, from coaching staff, 
you know, staff behind the scenes to, to the players that we were grateful for, you know, what we were walking into. And, and then it's led us, you know, into this, this part of our season. You know, being named the first ever female um, assistant coach in the AHL, obviously I'm sure that meant a lot to you and, and stuff, but is there ever a part of you that kind of, you know, like, do you welcome the idea of being a trailblazer or do you like to put that stuff off to the side kind of when, you know, assessing your body of work and when people bring it up to you? Yeah, I think it's really only when it's brought up to me. Um, yeah. that it's kind of brought back into the forefront of the conversation. It is important. I think visibility is important mm-hmm. on any any growth in the conversation. You know, sometimes I get asked, does it get old? And I, I think because my focus strictly is on the fo- is on the coaching, it's always yeah. been on coaching. I I really keep myself dialed into onto what matters for me, what matters for our players. And I would love for it someday to be all about the work and it to not be a conversation. That's, I guess, the important piece of the visibility, because if anything I do within my role and being first or whatever you want to call it, if it can, you know, open up the doors for others behind me, then that's that's incredible. If, if I can succeed and others can succeed in, in return, then it just gives more privilege every day to what I get to do. And I'm reminded of that. You know, I have colleagues and and former coaches that I've worked with that have the same goals in the game that are incredible coaches that I lean on to for support Mm. and and they have these goals so just I keep that in mind and it it keeps me grounded also in in my coaching and the opportunity that's at hand I I know every day it's it it's meaningful to others as well but at at the end of the day I wake up every day with with a, a heavy workload and a focus on our guys and trying to win hockey games every single day and to do my part in our coaching staff's role to, to make sure we're succeeding. And the other noise in the conversation on the side, I try to kind of keep, keep there so that my focus stays clear. You know, just for you, like in terms of, you said about the conversation um, and whatnot and opening doors, Seattle has been an organization that's hired a lot, has really focused on having a diverse staff from top to bottom, the analytics department, um, in, in every sector, how much does that mean to you to be part of an organization that values that? Yeah, it's obviously when I when I signed with the Kraken, I I felt that sense of of true support from top to bottom, and and also being supported by others that are similar in my position because the makeup of the staff, the organization is diverse, and and I think anytime you have on any team setting or any group setting, anytime you 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 have a group of people all from different backgrounds of life and different walks of life, you're going to get a different product. You're going to get a unique product because that's the point, right? Like we're all trying to, to create something different, something special. And when you're, when you're surrounded by people that bring different perspectives and different ideas to the table, you get that. And, and I try to surround myself every day with, with those types of people. So knowing that I'm in an organization where I'm also supported, I can turn to others um, across the board, you know, Alex Mandrecki, female assistant GM, like just having a sounding board like like Alex or regardless of doesn't really matter who, but that everybody's on the same page and, and being part of what they stand for means a lot to me. And I'm proud to be part of the Kraken organization for sure. Good stuff. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks again to Jessica for coming onto the show Awesome to have her insight. And I mean, Coachella Valley is definitely one of the top candidates right now to, to make a sizable run with the way that things are going. Yeah, it's interesting. Like in that Pacific division, them in Calgary have been going kind of back and forth all year. Yeah. And whoever ends up finishing second has to play a best of three play in round. 
So that that's a race that's going to go right down, I think, to the wire. So let, yeah, I want to get into that because it's funny. So the I want to get you to explain to everyone what the playoff format is. But it's, I, what I will say to start is it's definitely on the surface a more inclusive one where more teams have opportunities. But for what, what I'm hearing around the league from the past couple of weeks, the recurring theme has been some teams are really unhappy. Why is that, Pat? Like, what is, what is the format and how is it different from the NHL? Yeah, so, you know, kind of there was a real goal, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic season. You want to get, you know, NHL general managers want more and more of their players to get playoff experience, right? Yeah. And so it previously it was it was a it was a format very similar to the NHL. The top top 16 teams essentially made it and yeah. you know broken down by your four divisions. Uh, so it was pretty pretty cut and dry. But they wanted to bump that up. So they went up to 23 teams, you know, and um, that obviously offers, you know, if you look at 20 players per team times seven additional teams, that's 140 more players, give or take, that are getting some degree of playoff experience. Right. So that was kind of the, the the background of that, you know, just to start. And obviously, you know, one of the challenges is, is that the divisions are not even, you know, there are 32 teams and there are four divisions, but, uh, they range, you know, pretty considerably, you know, Pacific division has 10 teams, for example. So um, that's kind of the, the background of it. And as far as teams being unhappy, I mean, teams are, there's always teams that are unhappy, right? Like, I, it's funny, like every issue I can never think of that, you know, going back in my career, you know, that I've talked to, you know, there's usually one side that loves something and then the of other course. Another side that, you know, you know, and, and they can flip flop from one year to the next, you know, depending on their situation. So I, I sometimes take that with a grain of salt in terms of who's happy or who's not, because a team that loves the system this year, next year may not like it. Right? But what about let, let's get to this then. What about the angle of teams being unhappy with the best of three? Right, because well, the there's a play in. Right. So so explain the play in for those that don't know. Playing is essentially, and it varies from one division to the next, but, you know, in some cases it's only the fourth and fifth teams. That's um, the three that series. The Central and the, the North divisions, for example. That's right. a best of three play-in round. And essentially that play-in round acts as a way to cut down from 23 to 16. Right. And then once you're into that, you know, 16, then it, the system becomes a lot more. Legitimate. Conventional. And, uh, yeah, you you're know, right. Easier to follow, right? right? Like, totally. So one of the cha- – I mean, I guess – do you like the best of three? Well, yeah, sure. If you're a team that was on the bubble or otherwise would not have made it, if you're maybe finishing seventh like a team in the Pacific Division and, hey, this is your lifeline and now you have a chance, I'm sure you love it. Now, if you're, uh, if you're a team like, let's say, let's say Coachella Valley, for example, ends up finishing second in that division, they could also – conceivably be second overall in the league and yet have to play a best of three playing round. So I, I I'm sure they would not be happy with that. Well, right? cause if you're Calgary, exactly. Like if you're even coach out, like, and Calgary Coachella, whoever wins, get that first place seat. gets a massive advantage. Yes. For, for so many reasons. So that's probably part of it. Let's get over. Let's go over. Actually. But yeah. I'll add a point to that. Now, it sounds great in theory to avoid that. However, you can be a team like Utica last year where they finished first overall. Yeah. Charlotte was another team that, that was in this situation and 
they ended up sitting around for, you know, 10 to, I believe it's 10 to 12 days in that range. And then they had to jump into a playoff series right off the, you know, off the hop from there. So now you're, you're facing a team that's generated a little bit of uh, goodwill and positive uh, momentum coming out of that best of three. And you got to play now a best of five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, that could be a difficult situation to walk into. Your opponent has played at least two or three games. Right. While you've been, you know, sitting around practicing, which is all fine and well, but it's not certainly going to replicate yeah. uh, playoff hockey. And then you, you jump into a playoff series and the boot, it's a short series. So that's where those teams, you know, depends how you want to spin it. Now I've talked to one coach who said, I want nothing to do with the best of three because right. I just, it scares me and it can come down to a bad bounce, a bad call. But oh, yeah. on the other hand, you can see why, you know, like probably if you spoke with Kevin Deneen in Utica, he was not, he was not thrilled with just, you know, how his team played coming out of that, that long break. So it really is, you know, a case by case basis. Let's just go quickly here through the list of teams. So if the playoffs were to start today, this is as of Thursday, March 30th. In the first, So the buys would be Providence, Hershey, Toronto, Utica, Syracuse, Texas, Milwaukee, Manitoba. They would be yeah. in. And then for the division title, best of five. And then you have Charlotte versus Hartford, Springfield versus Lehigh Valley in the Atlantic just quickly there, what are your thoughts on those two matchups? You know, like Springfield, I mean, that's a tough matchup. Like, you know, if you get Lehigh Valley, because you have now Philly potentially sending back a lot of players, like depending exactly. on, you know, where totally. they're at. And so now St. Louis also the parent team for Springfield, um, you know, they won't be in the, obviously in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that, that helps. Like if your parent team isn't going forward, you don't have to worry about calls, right? That's, right? that's huge. That's a huge advantage. I think people overlook sometimes. Uh, and then as far as, well, I mean, it could be Charlotte versus either Hartford or Bridgeport. Bridgeport, Hartford have been going back and forth. It feels like for now a month. Yeah. Um, Hartford scares me a little bit. Just, you know, they, they're very streaky, but when they're on, they can be really good. But I do like, I mean, I like Charlotte's chance. I, I love, I, I'm really sold on that team I mean, they hit a little bit of a bump this past weekend against providence but they're an impressive group overall and um you know i think if they can get a few pieces back from florida they should be solid now if rochester and cleveland end up facing off who do you like in that one well look at cleveland right like they could have four recent first round picks in their lineup um going into the playoffs and they so have six, right three now. and one in their last 10 Pat. Yeah. Okay. And it's Starting not only a coincidence. They just got Cole Sillinger down from Columbus uh, this past weekend. Uh, obviously David Jerichek. Yeah. Yegor Chinnikov and uh, Corson Kulimans. Right, and then you four. also, you also Trey fix Wolanski. You've got yes. Brandon Gaunt says like you, you're that's a deep team. So Cleveland scares me. I would not, you know, he, even further down the playoffs, if they get in, I would, you know, if, if they won that series against Rochester, for example, and they got Toronto, well, they just went in Toronto and, and swept a, a home and home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not want anything to do with Cleveland right now, you know, if I'm an opponent, because I think that's a team that can play fun and loose and uh, they have a good, good feeling around them. And that's a team I think that, that really, you know, if they can get in, they could do some damage, I think. 
Iowa and Rockford's a really interesting one. I think if mm-hmm. you asked me a couple months ago, I would have said Rockford, but Iowa's heating up, and I don't know if you can turn back, especially with Wallstat playing as well as he's playing. The guy looks poised for a big playoff. You've got Rossi, you've got Adam Beckham, 7-2-0-1 in their last 10. I think the Wild would be the favorite in that matchup, a hypothetical matchup against Rockford. I would agree. I, I think with both of them, it depends which version of, of them shows up. Both sure. have been extremely streaky this year. Yeah. They go, they'll go on a tear for two weeks and then they'll, they'll, they'll lose five in a row. Right. Sure. And, you know, um, now I think Rockford will have one advantage in the sense that the Chicago Blackhawks are done for the year. Um, yes. After that. So Lucas Reichel. Whereas Iowa and, and, and one of those things too, that I think can also be a, a factor is if your parent team's in the playoffs, that can be a distraction, I think, to the group in the HL, right? Like, Everybody's kind of eyeing a chance to get called up. Yeah. Uh, even just a, as an additional body up top. And, you know, you, you can see, I've seen that before where that can be disruptive. So that, that that's something to keep an eye on too, with, with a team like Iowa, other teams in the, in a similar boat as well. Absolutely. Let's shift over to what division's next. The Pacific division. Pacific division. Sorry. I clicked the wrong tab on my laptop. Pacific division. Okay. So, this is what we talked about. There'd be like a bunch of potential matchups here where, okay. It's kind of unclear right now, exactly how it would shape up in that one. Let's go quickly. Any sleepers that you have in, in this division. So ignore Coachella Valley, ignore the Calgary Wranglers. We know mm-hmm. those guys are top dogs. What about the, the teams on the fringes? What do you think? You know, Ontario is an interesting group, right? Like they made a lot of players available uh, from the LA Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that, you know, Depends when you get the back, right? Of course. But if you know, and if they can hang around long enough, I think that could be a, that could be a team to watch. Now they're going to get a really tough series in that playing round, right? Like they're either getting um, Colorado, which I think is a really good undercover team, or Abbotsford, which is a team yeah. where Vancouver's obviously done for the season. So that's going to be a rough one, I think. Um, you know, and then, you know, obviously, you know, Bakersfield, they have, uh, you know, they have some good veterans there they, they're up and down too, but you know, Calvin Pickard can steal a, a series, certainly a best of three. And then Tucson, another team that they're very streaky as well. They, they go on these long tears and then they'll, <laughs> they'll fall apart. And, but Arizona's going to be done for the year. So it's another team. They'll be getting some, uh, roster stability. So you could see a situation where let's say, that number two versus seven playing around, right? Like you could have Calgary and Coachella, whoever ends up in that two spot, having to play a team like Tucson that has a full uh, roster back. So you can understand the, the impetus though, um, you know, for the, for either Calgary or Coachella to get that number one spot and avoid, that's a situation I would want to avoid, right? Like I don't want to mm-hmm. see Tucson at a best of three, you know, where they have their players back. And it's, I think that's just a, that's a trap waiting to happen for sure. Let's get to our prospect of the week. And that is Thomas Bordalo of the San Jose Sharks organization. He's got 41 points in 64 games with the Barracuda. And actually he was recalled by San Jose. Was it this morning or was it yesterday? This morning. This yeah, morning. Yeah. yeah. So, but it, it was funny because Pat, we were saying you were a little bit surprised because you didn't think that, you know, at this point he'd be called up. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, you know, the, the goal right now in San Jose uh, with the Sharks and right down to the Barracuda has been, so like, let's take William Eklund, for example. Like, yeah. first half of March, they had him up with the Sharks, and it was kind of a reward slash let's see where he's at, right? Right. And, you know, obviously the Sharks are long since been 
out of contention. But, you know, so Eklund, you know, he showed pretty well while he was up there. He came back first game, you know, plays back with the Barracuda. Then he, he's gotten hurt and he missed the past two games this weekend. Spoke to the head coach there, John McCarthy. His status going forward still seems a little bit murky. Um, so, and I, you know, kind of the idea was the same with a player like Bordalo, who's another real huge piece of that Sharks future. Um, but, you know, the needs obviously of the NHL team come first. So um, it's not ideal timing right now. The, the Barracuda are five back. Um, they're going into a really brutal uh, three games and four night stretch, two down in Texas, and then they go to Coachella. Um, basically, they're playing for their season at this point. And now Eklund's his status is up in the air and now Bordelow is up with the, with the big team. So uh, the timing is, is far from ideal. They're also missing Andrew Andrezino, their captain. Um, so if they can, if they can somehow pull this off, actually I should say they're seven back at the moment, but um, either way, um, you know, they have eight games to go. They're going to burn off three of them in the next, uh, by this coming Monday. Um, they don't have, much, if any, at this point, margin for error and uh, to lose two of your top players, especially like Bordelow is just, he drives so much of their play. Um, that's a huge loss for that lineup. Why do you think they did it then? <sighs> I think sometimes just that's what the NHL team Well, I guess I, I wonder too if it's them. like, yeah, you're in do or die with San Jose, but maybe they're thinking, okay, what's more valuable for this player right now? Sure. Getting that measuring stick time in the NHL and a reward for sticking in the process and doing well, or do you keep him down and think of a holistic and everyone, all a prospect approach for trying your best to getting a playoff spot? I don't know. I, I bet you the long-term benefit could side with these next couple games. And I always find that like after the deadline, whenever, whether there's a college signing or top prospect, these kind of for, for teams like San Jose that aren't making the playoffs, the NHL, Barracuda, they're still kind of in the fight. But those when they get their prospects up in these kind of games, there's a lot of good runway going into the offseason. So I think that there's definitely a benefit to it. I want to ask you a bit about what you think about Bordelow's timeline. I like him a lot. I think he's he's kind of a deceptive player. I think he's like he's crafty. He's not like all world crazy hands like skill, but he's got a good IQ and deception it makes it allows him to make mm -hmm. plays you know he isn't he, I think he's more most comfortable like at his core as a passer but it kind of seems like he's become a, a shooter more so than when he was you know in his amateur years and whatnot but I don't know if I I don't know if I see a player on the cusp of being an NHL and I want to know if I'm alone in that like do you think his timeline is next year I, I don't know personally I, I don't really know I'd say no. I know, this, I know like, this about him. Like, you know, he's very driven. Um, and yeah, the, sure. It's obvious, right? But like, you know, young players, it's not always a given, right? Like, you know, and, and they can think they're driven, right? You know, it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, I think I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but you don't even right. know what you don't know, right? But no, I, you know, I think he, he he's very mature. He has that um, drive to get better, um, but really high, high end. Um, offensive uh, the way he sees the ice is is what jumps out right away um so i think you know and he's really is working on that two-way game which is we've talked about that ad nauseum but it really is um you know really what separates most high-end skill players in this league from from a full-time nhl role i don't i i would like to see him get one more year 
with mm-hmm. Barracuda. I think if you could maybe give him, let's say, 10 to 15 games up top next year, just as kind of to, to whet the appetite, that would be great. Um, to like he screams to me, bit. Pat, it screams to me like if you put him in the NHL next year, you're probably running the risk of it becoming a Connor McMichael situation where you may have to send him back down at some point. Like, I don't know if, like, I think that, I don't know if Borlo's A, like, got that pop yet where he's, like, knocking on the door. And then, alternatively, is he a refined enough player for, to warrant that? Like, I, I talked to Connor McMichaels, I told you, like, this past weekend for a story or whatever, and those around the team and whatnot. And for those who don't know, like, Michael, top-end prospect for the Capitals, played all of last year with Washington, makes the team out of camp this year in a sophomore year, as expected, but he struggles, only plays six of the first 20 games, gets sent down. He's been in Hershey ever since. He's been hot and cold. He's been hot lately. He's got points in eight straight, but, you know, wasn't always great. And he's kind of just starting to find his game now. And Todd Nelson, Hershey's coach, was like, you know what? It probably would have been smarter if he was, like, probably would have been wise if he was with the AHL in his first year pro. So, you know, I, I think with Bordeaux, I know that might seem like a reach, but I just think that I don't, right now, at least, don't see him being able to step in at next year. I think he has one more year. Then again, as you kind of said, he's a driven guy, could have a really big summer and prove me completely wrong. But that's kind of where my gauge is right yeah. now. There's, let me put it this way. There's a lot more risk of bringing a player up too early than there is to leave him in the HL. Totally. And, you know, at worst in the HL, he's going to um, dominate for a little bit too long. And, um, and then you bring him up. But I, I yeah, I don't like, I don't like the idea, like like you mentioned with, with McMichael, where yeah, it seems almost like I, it's, I think especially to the player, he's all right. Okay, I'm a full time NHL player now, and then you you rock his world by sending him down. Right. Yeah. Third, yeah I agree. You know, for McMichael, it's the third pro season. Bordelow would be number you know, second season. Well, actually, part of the third. But in any event, uh, I yeah, I think if you look at the best operations across the NHL. One thing they all have in common is they're they're more patient than not, and if they're going to err one way or the other, it's going to be on the side of all right. Let's let that player get a little bit of extra time in the HL, mm-hmm. rather than the opposite. I think you know, putting a player like like McMichael's really a, kind of a textbook example that last Probably. year I thought was a little bit of a lost season for him, right? And it's a huge crucial development season, and now this year, then you know, you know it took him a while to kind of shake off the you know whatever the effects are of being sent down and you know i just i, I haven't loved how that's been managed um so i, I i'm with you on that one like let them yeah. ripen if anything to the hl level i don't know if i'm galaxy bringing this and i'm just trying to make this make sense but hear me out i know you pat are you're a big uh, advocate against the pandemic here that was i know it was, it was a disaster for development um like the the whole 2020 21 season but both borlo and uh, to- sorry, with, with Thomas Eno and McMichael, two guys that played their rookie year and then next year ended up back in the AHL. Thomas Eno's up in the NHL now. Both of them thrived in the pandemic year for their respective clubs. And I wonder if almost like they, yeah, I'm sure you can make the team out of camp and, and do that. But in terms of like refining the game as a whole, a whole becoming a, a complete hockey player, I wonder if that kind of clouded, he, they needed more mileage you know, in that last year, it makes any well, sense. I'll say this about the pandemic year. I mean, it was, it was what it was, so to speak. And, you know, the NHL and the HL got done what they needed to get done and they provided a, a venue for players to play, but the, the talent was not 
at the, the standard AHL level. I mean, you you basically lop off the top six players off the AHL roster. They were up in the NHL and on the taxi squad. Yeah, it was like an AHL so, East AHL hybrid. Yeah, yeah, junior. it wasn't. With so I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of the some of the numbers that players put up. I think were a little bit deceptive, and I, yeah. I, I don't think it was a great way to really get a, a true read on a player. Um, play to that now obviously you had to you know you may do with what you had and sure it was better you know the players have been off the ice for all, almost a year at that point so hey get them some ice time but i think you you definitely have to put that within that context and and understand that um it you know michael dominated that year but he was also two things he was playing against lesser competition he was also playing with matt molson who played 650 games in the NHL. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, now, now you're in the HL, your third year, you're, you're far better competition and you're, you're in that day-to-day grind. Right. And, you know, now I think it's a big test and Hershey, you know, they're going to be one of the top teams in the East here. And I think to, for McMichael and really for any player in that situation, he needs a big, he needs a big performance down the stretch here, you know, really kind of, um, make up some of that time that's uh, maybe it's been lost a little bit. Let's get to our team of the week. And that's the Boston Bruins um, for this week's session. And I said session. I meant to say uh, section. Um, all right. So let's start with Georgi Merkulov leading scorer for province, 51 points in 59 games, yet another undrafted free agent signing by the Bruins. It's, you know, it's almost inevitable at this point. They're going to find these guys played one year at Ohio state last year, 34 points in 36 games. Uh, the Russian native then signed with Providence at the end of last year, had five points in eight games. And then this year, his first full AHL year, the 22-year-old is 51 points in 59 games. What a story Georgi Merklov has been. Pat, what have you seen? I see a player that's got a good shot at being rookie of the year, right? You know, and this is like a cl- classic Boston situation, right? Where like everyone gives them, a hard time uh, for drafting and people still harp on that 2015 draft. I mean, I when you miss on, when you miss on Connor Barzell and whoever else it was, it's, and I get it. And that, that's fair. Right. Um, but <laughs> they've been paying for that for a long time. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, like you look at him right now, like, like Boston is just such an attractive you know, opportunity. I think for, for players that are undrafted or free agents or, or whatever they whatever the particular case may be. And so you're, you're Merkel off and you have a chance, right. To come into that group. And, and I mean, yeah, I'll put Boston's development staff against anybody's. Um, and so it's such, such a robust, well-resourced staff. Um, so for him, he got into that, you know, after only one college year and uh, you know, I think to his credit, like he made that jump. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, you know, a little bit, uh, think a little bit of a, a smaller player obviously right and that's always going to i think be one of the challenges for, for players but um i think in in providence slash boston they teach you to, one of the things i noticed with them is they teach you to work with what you do have um rather than kind of like focusing on what you don't have and uh so i i love where he's at um i'm really excited to see like can he make a push next year in boston and, and get some games up there but if you notice, like with Boston, right, like they, they really do take their time. Like, yeah, they could have made it very conceivably an easy case to bring him up at different points. Right. Like, you know, yeah. up but for Boston, like they're 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 loading up. And sure. That bottom sure. Pick. But, you know, just even for a call up here and there. Right. Like, you know, sure. Um, 
you know, but instead they've gone, you know, like that's where they bring their veterans and they've brought in, you know, Vinny Letary, for example, Yeah, yeah. you know, Chris sure. Wagner, guys like that, that you can, you can plug into the NHL lineup here and there if you need to for sure play a few games and then send them back. Right. Like, so, um, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a smart move by Boston where like, yeah. cause I think once you, you start getting those players back and forth like that at, at a young age, then I think it, it gets into their head a little bit sometimes. And that's where I think, you know, vets obviously help you at the AHL level, but they also help you, you know, in terms of the whole operation, right. Even at the NHL level, because they can, they can be your guys yeah. that you call up, rather than having to rely on your prospects. Fabian Lazelle, uh, first round pick of, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. pretty sure um yeah it was a 2021 draft 21st overall shot 36 points in, in 46 games he kind of had a bit of a dip after the world juniors took him a bit to get going but he has eight points in his last eight games i thought that you know the bruins like this 20 year old winger would be traded at the deadline uh in a bruins loading up move but he's still around still doing well pat just quickly tell us a bit about his season and how he's done we only got a couple of minutes till we're about, yeah. to booed off, about to be booed well, off air yeah well what does that tell you right like you know um Boston, obviously, you know, probably could have justified moving him yeah, in a deal, right? Like you're obviously for sure. going for the Stanley Cup and I don't think they would have gotten too much blowback for doing that. Um, but they saw fit and I think it, they're a smart group. They saw fit to keep him. And I think that shows exactly what they think they have in him. Uh, you know, he had a tough world junior championship, you know, no question, but he, he's – He's come back, uh, you know, he's kind of got back in that daily flow of things w- with Providence. It's a, it's a very tight group, very welcoming group. Um, he's young. He's only 20. Um, and I think that was good for him, right? Like it was, it was sure. You want him to go play world junior and represent his country. But um, when it is a tough tournament, if he had come back to a team where, you know, maybe that you didn't have that, that strength of that support staff or that support group, I think that could have been a, a dicey situation, but, uh, you know, he's in a great environment and, you know, he's, he's a player. I definitely want to see, I want to see him in the playoff test. Like Providence for my money is the best team in the East. Um, eight and two in their last 10 no? Yes. Um, and, and an 18 winning streak at the moment. So, um, they're, they're peaking. I mean, well, they've kind of been peaking all year, but they're really peaking, um, at this stage of the year. And so, this is what I want to see from players. This is the whole point of having that expanded playoff format. I want to see players go in and dominate. Like that's what you're looking for, for a player like him. I think where like, all right, you've had the regular season to do your thing and to trying to find your way. Now let's see you make that next jump. And if he can do that, I think that will be extremely encouraging for, for, for Boston. I'm going to just rattle off the, the final couple of ones. Brandon Bussey, a guy that we have talked about a lot, yeah. undrafted goaltender in 29 games with a 927 save percentage signed out of college last year after playing with Western Michigan, where Boston has quite a track record of getting, uh, sorry, the NCAA, not Western Michigan in particular, but Boston's great with getting those undrafted free agents from there. Tory Krug, you ever heard of him? Um, and and one more guy we want to highlight is Johnny. Is it Beecher or Beaker? Beecher. Yeah. Beecher. Okay. 50 chance there. John, John Beecher, first round pick in 2019, had a strong start to pro, but it's kind of struggled a bit. I think that he does play like a quote unquote Bruin. I think he does have the jam and grit that they do want. And it'll be interesting to see how he progresses as well. We love our analysis, Pat. We love talking, but we have to end here and cut off a little bit, not a little bit short. We've been going a long time, but uh, short of the topic. But be sure to tune in for our next Team of the Week, Prospect of the Week, and all the other guests we'll have next episode and going forward. Thanks for listening, guys.